Well, good morning, church, and welcome to Zion at Home. It's great to have you join us today, wherever you are, however you've dialed in or whoever you're with. We pray that you have a great morning this morning, a time of uh, fellowship, a time of studying God's word, and a time of prayer. Before I begin, let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you that wherever we are, you're with us. You're not absent, you're not far away, but you're very close to us. And as people gather around your Holy Scriptures today, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would bring things to life, bring enlightenment, bring revelation, bring truth that changes them. As your Holy Spirit ministers to them, I pray that new life would form, that a new richness of life would emerge. And Lord, we would all be different, we'd be blessed, and our community would be transformed because of the work you're doing in us. So we commit this time to you. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. All right, let's get into it. Let's really dig into God's Word today. And I hope you've got some uh, discussion sheets with you. I've prepared some notes that you can fill in the gaps as you go. You can stop the video if you want to capture something or write it down. Uh, you can stop it uh, when we have time for discussion and dig into really how God's Word is shaping you as His Spirit works in your life. So today is the final message of our series that we've been working on called A Beautiful Exchange. We're looking at this concept that life is an exchange between us and God and in that, that we give a little bit and get so much in return. God has so much for us that he wishes to exchange with us and if only we would give him what we have. And I've been saying that we don't have to give him much, but we do have to give him everything. Everything we've got. Everything we give to him. Our first series was called, uh, first message in the series was called Our Jealous God. And we discovered how zealous he is for us, how passionately committed God is to reaching down and being a part of our world. But in that, that he desires all of our life, that we would pick up our cross and follow him, that we would commit fully to him, for he is jealous for our worship. We also looked at what it feels like to be crushed and perplexed and under pressure as Paul was. Um, but that in that, God has a process that he's working in our lives in order to bring the promises of God to us. And we learned that promises of God demand the process of God. Last time we met, the third message was called Whakatapua, which is really the process of us being sanctified by God in order that he would restore us to greater than we were before we started our life of surrender. He has a vision for our life that was birthed in us the moment we were conceived. And he's desiring, he's zealous and jealous for that vision that he has for us to emerge. In the process, we looked at whakatapua, sanctification. And today, the final message, I'm calling fine wine. We're going to look at the fine wine of Jesus in that in this crushing, in the pressing, in the challenges, God is working in our life to bring about something magnificent. And I'm calling it fine wine. You'll uh, look back to the other messages if you want to, and you'll see the references to the grapes being crushed. But you'll also see that the purpose of the grapes wasn't just fruitfulness. It was, in fact, the wine that would become the fruit of what God is doing in our lives. So today, our key scripture is John chapter 2. Uh, get you to look at that on your Bibles or your devices. Uh, but I'll also make sure it's, it's up on the screen for you. For those of you that are watching, uh, John chapter 2, the wedding at Cana. The next day there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. 
Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out during the festivities, so Jesus' mother told him, they have no more wine. Dear woman, that's not our problem, Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. But his mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you. Standing nearby were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. When the jars had been filled, he said, now dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. So the servants followed his instructions. When the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though of course the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over. A host always serves the best wine first, he said. Then, when everyone has had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine. But you have kept the best until now. This miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory. And his disciples believed in him. So in this passage of scripture, there are four key things that I'm going to look at today. And I'm going to look at them really briefly. You can see them referenced on your handouts. You can write them in as we go. You'll see the four headings numbered on the pages. The first thing that I want to highlight is the fact that this is a wedding. Now this key thing here that I want to understand, and I'm going to do this very briefly. I understand that there's so much content in here, but let's rush through it uh, uh, so that you can begin your discussions. The first thing that I want to note is that a wedding is a major celebration in the Jewish culture. It is a huge deal. It's a big ordeal. The families look forward to this for years. The father of the groom spends a lot of money putting together these festivities and everybody comes from far and wide. Wedding ceremonies would take seven days or more. So there's a lot of partying and celebrating that's going on. I want you to remember something though about the culture. The wedding or the marriage of an individual happens in two steps. So a man and a woman, remember Joseph and Mary, the Mary, the mother of Jesus. They were betrothed to be wed. Well, this is the first step in a Jewish wedding where there's a public commitment made to one another. And nowadays we call it being engaged. In those days, it was called being betrothed, but it was as good as being married. They would have a big celebration, there would be a contract, there'd be an exchange, there'd be the dowry or the, the, the gifts that were exchanged, but they would be as good as married in people's eyes. The bride, the young woman, usually young but not always, would stay at home. She would remain in her father's house preparing herself for the day in which she would be married. She would be waiting for the bridegroom to come back and receive her, but she didn't know when he would come. This anticipation, knowing that things were being prepared, but not knowing what the arrival date would be. And then the second stage would be the wedding. It would be a coming together of these two people forever. And it was a big party and a big celebration and there was all sorts of grand things that happened. And this is what we see happening in the story in John chapter 2. So the father of the bridegroom, the father of the man, would be putting on the celebration. I want you to see the parallel here with our life of faith. Jesus is the bridegroom. He's coming back for his bride, the church. And in this, 
we must understand that we are betrothed to Jesus. We're as good as married to him. We're committed to him and we're waiting for him. We're preparing ourselves for when he comes, but we don't know when he's coming. Jesus is the bridegroom and we are the bride. This is a wonderful picture that Jesus gives us at the beginning of his ministry. I want you to notice in the New Testament that there's two bookends. We see this first moment of Jesus' emergence in ministry in John chapter 2 as one bookend of the story. And then right at the other end in the book of Revelation, John has a revelation. The Apostle John has this revelation that there will be this wedding, this grand feast as the bridegroom returns for his bride. And so we've got this amazing picture that is built in the New Testament. I want you to consider that this week as you read God's word. What does this mean for us as Christians? Well, what I want you to take away, the key that I want you to write down in your notes, is Jesus gives us a promise of coming together forever. This is a key message of faith, and we need to have the message of faith on our hearts in order that we might share it with other people. If you're someone that's searching for something, if you're someone that's new in your faith or you're not fully understanding why you'd want to be a Christian or a follower of Jesus, this is a key here. Jesus makes a promise that will not fail. He is coming back to gather us together that we might live with him forever in that place of celebration we call heaven. Jesus has a promise for us of coming together forever. Right, the second thing you can see on your notes if you've got them, but we're going to reference it in the scriptures. In verse 6 and 7, we see Jesus give a statement to the attendants that were standing by. He says in verse 6 and verse 7, standing nearby there were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. They were large. Jesus told them to go and fill them with water. Well, what are these stone jars? These are the big stone jars that they use to hold water for the Jewish uh, ritual or um, tradition of ceremonial cleansing. So sometimes they would use these for washing their hands or uh, their feet after they'd traveled, but they'd also use them for bathing insofar as they would set themselves apart as clean before they came to worship God. So the Jews were very um, diligent and, and uh, intentional about following the instructions of God that they would present themselves before him as clean and acceptable in their worship. So think about this. They had to wash themselves in order to be acceptable. Well, I want to make a contrast here. I want to make a key point, and this is what you want to write down. Let's put it on the screen. Jesus offers us a new way of living. That is not achieved by what we do, rather by what he has done. There's a new way of living. You see, the, the waters uh, that the Jews used were not sufficient for eternal cleansing. They had to keep coming back and by their actions make themselves acceptable. Jesus is beginning to point us to the new message of his righteousness that would come to us by our faith. You see, as Jesus transformed the waters into wine, he's symbolizing that there's a change and a transformation coming. Remember, you've just probably had communion. The blood is represented in the wine or the juice. And so that blood is what gives us an eternal righteousness, an eternal cleansing, an eternal way of making us acceptable before God. 
You see, there's a key thing here. There's a new way of living, Jesus says to the Jews, and he says it to us. No longer will you need to be acceptable by what you do. Instead, put your faith in what I've done, and I'll make sure that you're always accepted by the Father. Jesus says, when you put your hope in me, when you put your faith in me, in the blood of my sacrifice represented by the wine, he said, that will stand you in righteousness before God the Father. Jesus makes a promise to us that he has made a way for us to be accepted. And I pray wherever you are, that you would take time to pause and reflect and give thanks. Why don't you do that now? Pause the video and give thanks to God for what he has done. The way that I like to do that is I like to remember where I've come from. I like to remember what did Jesus save me from? The darkness, the separation, the loneliness, the hopelessness, the pain, the suffering, all that I caused for myself. He saved me from that and set me into a new path of life with him. What does that look like? Well, we'll talk about that in a minute. But let's pause the video and spend time thanking God for saving us from our suffering. Right, let's look at the third one. So you can turn to the other side of your handout if you've got one. And we're going to see number three refers to signs. Signs. Now, this is interesting because John does something very different to the other Gospels here. He uses a different Greek word when he's talking about what Jesus does. You may have heard the phrase signs and wonders. You may have seen it referenced in the scripture as miraculous things. Uh, the, the Greek word dunamis is power. It can only be attributed to God. And, and of course, what Jesus was doing he was doing as a man, but as a man submitted to the power of God in the same way that we can also do that. But, but here, John does something very different. In his gospel, he, he has seven different instances where God does, uh, Jesus does something miraculous, but he calls them signs. He uses the Greek word that means signs, and you can see that reference in verse 11. This miraculous sign, let me read it to you as the literal translation. This did Jesus... In Cana of Galilee as the beginning of his signs. It was his first public miracle. But John is saying it's a sign. Well, what is a sign? <laughs> Quite simply, a sign points to something. A sign, you can see a road sign that points you in a direction. A sign is a warning not to do something. A sign is a way to enter in. A sign points to something. It communicates something. And Jesus is being very clear here that he is preparing himself in ministry to point to the Father. This is a key point for us. There's an unusual occurrence that happens that could only happen by divine intervention. It's called a sign. And this is how Jesus lived his life. Let's have a look at the third key so that you can write it on your notes. We must build a life story that is filled with signs that point to God. Here's the application for us. We've got to have a life that's filled with opportunities for God to act that would then give testimony of his goodness that points back to him. 
We can't live our lives hidden. We can't live our lives in fear. We shouldn't remain in isolation, but we should be living in a way that points other people to God. And this is what Jesus was doing. I love the uh, time we had over summer of sharing testimonies, and we'll be doing that again because people really enjoyed it. But these are stories of God's divine intervention, of God's um, redemptive power at work in our lives. These are signs that point people to God. My challenge for you is that if you don't have these stories in your life, you're not a messenger. You're not a disciple. You're certainly not a servant of Jesus. This uh, convicts me, this thought, that my life would be useless, having no purpose for the kingdom. I want to challenge us as Zion people to live a life where we publicly display the signs that point to God. What are those signs? Well, our testimony of our salvation is one. I was once a sinner, a wreck, and I was lost. But Jesus, Jesus took me back to the Father. Jesus made a way for me. Well, I love hearing healing testimonies because our testimony of healing is a, like a prophetic utterance of what God has done once he will do again. This is a sign that points people to God. Publicly recognize moments that point others to God. And I want you to see the fruit of this at the end of verse 11. It says this, And his disciples believed in him. When our life is full of stories that point to the power of God at work, the sign points to God, he gets the glory, and people will turn to him. May that be our focus as we live as followers of Jesus. Let's pause right now. Pause the video. And why don't you take a moment to share testimonies with each other of those moments in your life where God did something that pointed to him. Maybe it is your salvation story. Maybe it's a moment of healing. Maybe it's a moment of reconciliation with a loved one. But let's pause. Let's take this moment to allow the Spirit of God to bring to our remembrance those things that are the signs in our life that point to God. Let's pause the video and do that now. Alrighty, now we're at number four. The final point, as you'll see on your handouts, is the fine wine of Jesus. This is the point. I, I, I wonder if you've ever spent $100 on a bottle of wine. That's a lot of money. I mean, why would you do that when you can go to a pack and save and buy one for $8.99? Well, I'd suggest to you that there's a big difference in the complexity and the flavors and the enjoyment of the wine. The truth is the wine you get at a supermarket is almost the reject stock, it's the bottom of the barrel, it sells in bulk. But the exquisite wine, the fine wine, the top shelf wine is reserved only for those that really are prepared to pay for it because they appreciate it. I've had the opportunity to be in a room where we've tasted wine that is exquisite. And the complexity, the layers of flavor, the the exuberant burst of just dynamic uh, differences in the, in the wine and the fruitfulness that the, 
the vintage, the winemaker has created is just exquisite, an exquisite experience. My point, you can tell the difference between average wine and fine wine. And here's the key in the story. We see that when the wine was taken to the master of ceremonies and he tasted it, he says, normally we serve good wine first till everyone is a little tipsy and then the host brings out the cheap stuff. But you've saved the best until now. You see, the wine that was created in the miracle of Jesus that points to God, the sign that points to him, the miracle was exquisite wine, it was fine wine. And that, my friends, is the point of living with Jesus. Not that we'd have an average life, a mediocre life where we struggle and complain and have no joy, but that we'd have an exquisite life of extravagance because God wants us to have fine wine flowing out of us. It's, it's magnificent. And the, the, the Bible definition says it's praiseworthy because of pure character. I wonder if that describes you. Gee, I, sometimes I don't think it describes me, but that is certainly my pursuit, is a life that is praiseworthy because of pure character. What is this symbolizing in this moment for us? Well, let's look at uh, key point number four. It'll be up on the screen so that you can write it in your notes. The fine wine of Jesus is our life in the Spirit, enabling us to experience the abundant and powerful goodness of God. In preparing this message over the last month, I've taken the time to go back and reflect on a series that I spoke in 2018. I spoke a series on the new wine of God and we looked at the wineskin and the parable that Jesus taught around the wineskin. My point to you in that series, and honestly, I encourage you to go back and find it on the podcast. It's in the middle of 2018. Fine wine, new wine. But you're the wineskin. You're the wineskin that is massaged by God with the Holy Spirit in order to contain something. What is it that we're supposed to contain? It's the fine wine of Jesus. It's this, you know, the process of wine being made with fermentation is that there's a chemical reaction with the sugars and the, and the fruit and the, and the alcohol is formed and it, it's quite effervescent. It's explosive. Well, that's what your spirit life should be like. This is what the life is that Jesus is pointing us to here, that we would be filled to overflowing with fine wine. Well, I wanted to pause just here to of reflecting on my notes from that message, the wine of Jesus in 2018, and you can see it on the screen. What are these things that Jesus would have us experience with the fine wine of Jesus? Firstly, increase favor with God. We will see his love and joy invade our lives in an increasing way. That's my prayer for every one of you. Secondly, we would be naturally supernatural. That miracles would happen all the time. They're normal in our lives. These are the narratives, the redemptive power of God, the signs that point other people to God as our Savior. Thirdly, unity. As God the Father and Jesus are one, he prays that we would also be one. The fruit of God working in our lives is unity. And I pray each week for this church that we would be bound in the spirit of unity as God works in our midst. Number four is influence. We can expect to see a greater and greater 
impact in our community because the effervescent life of Jesus is flowing out of us and affecting other people. One of the mandates that God has given mankind is dominion. And so fifthly, we can expect advancement. When we're doing the work of God and the power of God, we can expect to claim new territory. We can advance into new areas of influence whereby we can bring the kingdom of God into our world. These are the signs, my friends, of fine wine in our lives, that we would go through the process God's got for us and our lives would be refreshing. If you don't feel like that's you, then today I want to create an opportunity. Once this message is finished, then we're going to have some worship time and I want the music to minister to you as you surrender to the Holy Spirit. I want the Holy Spirit to come and transform and invade you, but you have to open the door and let him. So let's do that shortly. Before we do, I'd like to wrap up this message. Well, look, as I close this message, I'm also closing the series. So how does God the Father create this fine wine in our lives? That's really been the point of this series called A Beautiful Exchange. I want you to see the context and connection, how these things come together in all four messages. Our God is a jealous God. He's zealous for our lives, that our lives would be fruitful and dynamic in the way that he dreamed we would be. And he's jealous for that. He fights for it. He, he demands it, to be honest, in the scriptures that we would fully surrender our lives to him as Lord. It's only when we fully surrender ourselves, when we get on our knees before him, when we take our lives to the cross of Jesus and pick up that life of sacrifice in exchange, that we fully get to walk through the door into the life he's got for us. There's a process, you know, that we have, once we yield, we have to go through a crushing, a pruning, a, a shaping. And that second message was really just to acknowledge the work of God is the process of God. He's not punishing you. He's not causing your life to be misery. If you stop and ask him, God, what are you doing in my life at the moment in this extreme circumstance? You might have a different viewpoint. I had this moment the other day, you know, with the the challenges we're facing as a church, I'm like pulling my hair out. I didn't pull all of it out, but I'm saying, God, what's going on? Am I supposed to quit? Am I, why am I struggling? And he just said, this is the process of refinement in your church for the fine wine to be poured out into our community. And I had to choose to accept that, to yield to it and allow God's work to be fully complete in me and in the church. As we're crushed, we're also sanctified. You know, grapes are first fruitful, they're pruned, then they're taken off the vine, they're put into the vat, and they're crushed by the winemaker. He treads on them and crushes them to get the juice out of them. He allows them time in the darkness to ferment in order that the reaction of the chemicals in, in the life of us, it's the Holy Spirit working inside of us to bring about the fine wine that will be the fruit of our lives. This is the process God's got for us live a life he's designed for us. I'd like to share this thought with you. Grapes are pruned, then they're picked before they're pulverized so they can develop their potency. <clears throat> it's the story of my life and I want it to be the story of your life. The fine wine is our new spiritual life that Jesus paid for, that he makes available. Each one of us has the opportunity to walk in it and I pray that you'd respond to this message in a way that opens your heart to the work of the Holy Spirit, allowing him in 
to bring healing and wholeness, to bring correction, to bring establishment of strength, and to bring a sense of purpose and, and focus on what God's asking you to do. It's really my desire. The promises of God demand the process of God. As a church, let's pause and allow him to do his work in our life, that our lives will be glorious, that our lives would be a narrative of stories that point people to him in order that they would find him as their Lord and Saviour. I pray that God richly blesses you as you continue your fellowship today. As you, as you stop this video, uh, focus on the discussion questions. I'd ask you to have time praying for one another, that if there's one amongst you struggling, then lift him up before God. Lift her up in prayer as you bring their needs before God. Pray and declare God's love over one another. And in doing so, I pray the Spirit of God would bind you in unity as God's family before the Father, our Creator. God bless you.